Greetings. Welcome to the Asana Kitchen podcast. I'm David Garig, and the subject this time is uh, devotional poetry and how that can support your practice. Okay. And so I'm partly doing it because it's a long overdue uh, subject that I've wanted to address with you. And then also it's to celebrate my new book that's called Ecstatic Discipline, 57 Poems for Lovers of Hatha Yoga. Uh, so in this podcast, I'm going to uh, speak a little bit about my history with uh, devotional poetry. And it actually, I came in contact with and fell in love with, uh, it's called Bhakti Poetry, that uh, before I even had a disciplined yoga practice. So I have a long history of um, digging poetry uh, as part of my practice. Uh, and so I'm going to read to you, uh, give you a reading of some of my favorite poems and do one or two from my new book as well. Uh, all right, so it's uh, interesting the, uh, the parallels between, I'd say, kind of two unlo seemingly unlikely subjects, like Hatha Yoga, right, is uh, the postures and breathing. It's very physical and um, nonverbal. So you're working with uh, internal states of awareness and kind of dropping uh, mind, dropping language on one hand. And then on the other hand, you've got uh, poetry, right, which is uh, such an intellectual, uh, verbal kind of thing, right? But but it's also a very rigorous verbal thing, poetry, and it's kind of trying to condense down the language and bring, get to the bare bones, to the roots of, of uh, what is meaningful to communicate. But those two subjects are much more connected than, than you would think, and not just uh, like a rebel yogi like me, but uh, the, you can say that the sacred texts themselves are, are poems before they're uh, philosophical texts or um, like prose writing about the philosophy of yoga. Uh, and I include in that category the, uh, like the Bhagavad Gita. This is a amazing uh, text that's on the par with the Bible or the Quran, and yet it's, it's simply a poem. And the, the way that it's written and even its intention is uh, poetic as well as uh, philosophical and uh, kind of practically practical instructions for living life in the best, most fullest way. Okay, and the Upanishads, the, the old texts, like the Vedas and the Upanishads that came out of the Vedas, they came from seers who, like visionaries, who uh, channeled their, their words. Uh, and they were very, very poetic and uh, intuitional and uh, kind of coming from a creative place. And you can see it when you read those, those texts. Okay, but then there's also uh, a more kind of explicit lineage of yogis that 
made poems about yoga, and the list includes like uh, Rumi, Hafiz, Kabir, uh, Lala, and many others. And so I came across the poetry but totally by happenstance. I had no idea any history of yoga, nothing. Um, and how I came across it was I got a hold of uh, a cassette tape of um, Robert Bly reading the poems of Kabir um, set to the uh, tabla, uh, Indian drums, and sitar music. And um, it just fired my imagination. Uh, so I listened to the poems before I ever even read one. And uh, I, I basically wore it out. And it, it completely fascinated me without uh, really knowing what it was all about. And um, I'm going to read to you one of the Kabir poems. And like this was at least... I don't know, 25 years ago or more that I came in contact with um, this. And I, it has stayed, this, the poetry of Kabir has been with me along my journey the whole time. And so some of these poems are like old friends to me that I've been reading and thinking about for, for decades. Okay, and so here's one that I, I love. It says, Student, do the simple purification. You know the seed is inside the horse chestnut tree, and inside the seed there are the blossoms of the tree and the chestnuts and the shade. So, inside the human body there is the seed, and inside the seed there is the human body again. Fire, air, earth, water, and space. If you don't want the secret one, you can't have these either. Fire, air, earth, water, and space. If you don't want the secret one, you can't have these either. Thinkers, listen, tell me, what do you know of that is not inside the soul? Take a pitcher full of water and let it set it down on the water. Now it has water inside and water outside. We mustn't give it a name lest silly people start talking again about the body and the soul. If you want the truth, I'll tell you the truth. Listen to the secret sound, the real sound which is inside you. Listen to the secret sound, the real sound which is inside you. The one no one talks of speaks the secret sound to himself. And he is the one who has made it all. Okay, and so this is a very interesting poem. And one of the things I love about it is it points to that the mystery of life, the mystery of your life, and the, the greatness of life, the sacredness, is all found deep within you. And you have to kind of go through the layers. And, um, and then those of you who study with me know how much I love uh, referencing or experiencing the elemental forces. Like that being in an asana is to awaken to fire, air, earth, water, and space. And in this, um, this is such an interesting twist that Kabir puts on it because he, he puts it backwards, basically. And, um, and what he's saying is, is that 
the, the he and he has different words for the self, which is God or the divine, the highest, um, the highest reality, and he calls it the secret one because it's hidden w within you, and um, he also calls it the guest. But um, here he's saying he says fire, air, earth, water, and space. If you don't want the se the, the secret one, um, you can't have these either. And so, basically, saying if you don't like connect with the source inside you, like have some relationship to the highest sphere of your existence, then the mundane life that you may think is where it's at, where the happiness is, you won't have those. That like that it, it's like, no, the secret one has made all of this. And this is where uh, you're headed with your, with your life, but also with your yoga practice. And, um, and then I also, like, I love that, listen to the secret sound, the real sound, which is inside you. It's just uh, keeps pointing to the, that what you seek is within. And this has been, this is such an important theme to me throughout my journey, is the, the kind of solitariness of the path and um, kind of affirming that the that inward turning that I feel compelled to, to do is valid and is, a, is an excellent way to pursue the path of yoga. Um, okay, and so um, for me, I listened to those poems uh, for a long time. And at the same time, um, for a long time, I've written, I kind of kept some kind of loose journal of um, writing down my thoughts about, um, it was preceded yoga, so kind of tr just my deeper thoughts. And, but then as I got into yoga, I also started uh, writing about my experience of yoga in, in my journals. And, um, and one other thing in uh, parallel to this uh, Bhakti Poets was I was a big fan of Jack Kerouac. And, um, and the way that he wrote in this kind of spontaneous uh, flow of language and just reflecting on the wildness and kind of kookiness and um, d depth and uh, just serendipity of life. And, and so um, I started writing. And then um, my partner Joy, who's a, a filmmaker uh, and a storyteller, well, she started uh, looking at those journals and, um, and pulling out pieces of them and sharing them on my um, social media. And it was really challenging for me in a lot of ways and, uh, and still is to a certain degree because these are very, um, very deep kind of personal notes to myself. And the poems that are in the book uh, reflect that. They're, they're very uh, kind of deep, uh, musings that I have with my own self that emerge right out of my experience of practice. And, um, and they're, they're honed in and crafted over a long time. So I've been writing for many years. And um, I'm going to give you a few more uh, poems. And see, what I love about the, the subtitle of the book is that these are poems for lovers of Hatha Yoga. And so this is something uh, kind of almost new ground. There's very little uh, 
poetry or uh, a kind of creative, an, an attempt to creatively express the experience of doing um, postures and working with pranayama and bandhas and, and stuff. And this is something that's kind of evolved for me, that uh, this uh, yearning to articulate the, these kind of un, unarticulated aspects of practice, um, both to uh, kind of give weight and meaning to my own experience and practice, but also to inspire you and uh, to point out things to you or get, or get you to go make connections to go, ah, yes, I, I experienced that. And then also to give you kind of permission or um, the opening to go into those, your own experience of whatever, um, wh whatever kind of creativity opens up within you through practicing, through your practice, right? Um, okay, so here's a poem from the, she's a Kashmiri, um, she's now like a saint, Lala, a wonderful um, poetess and her poems, uh, they're some of the ones that to me are the closest to kind of hatha yoga or they're directly related to kind of her experience of, um, of tapas or sadhana. And so here's this one I love. She, um, she goes, I locked the doors and windows. Okay, and, the, and she's referring to her own body, like her, her senses and... Um, her attention. So I locked the doors and windows, I grabbed the breath thief and yelled for help. And then I tied him up in an in I tied him up in an inside closet and threatened him with Om Om. <laughs> I tied him up in an inside closet and threatened him with Om Om. And I shut the body openings and found out what steals the even breath, the truth of who we are. See, I've, I, so I shut the body openings and found out what steals the even breath and what steals the truth of who we are. See, I love that, making a connection between the sealing in your awareness and regulating your breath and, um, and it claiming your, your sacred heritage, your sacred essence, whereas there's so many, uh, so many contrary forces working within us throughout the day that can uh, block that connection. So you, so you have to actually um, go in there and trap the breath thief. Beautiful. See, and I love that... Uh, Within India, there's a wide range of who will write a poem, a spiritual poem. And this one comes from uh, Swami Ramdas, who was, uh, had a, has a, there's an ashram of his teachings in uh, western Karnataka uh, on the coast uh, over from Mysore. And I've gone to that ashram a few times. And they have a practice there where they round the clock, they chant the... Uh, mantra to, yon, to, to Ram, like they have it going uh, continuously and people walking in these little uh, shrine areas within the compound and um, keeping the mantra alive. And this man, 
was the, the leader of it, he also wrote poems. And those of you who practice with me know how, how I, I love to relate the philosophy to the actual asana practice. And so one of the things about asana that is said in the Yoga Sutras is that, um, that you're, you, you do a, conduct a ananta samapatihi, that that's part of asana. And ananta is the infinite, and samapatihi is a cognitive blending, or that you're, you're in this constant contemplation of the infinite, which is uh, another way of saying a constant comp contemplation of the self, of the secret one, of the highest um, reality and the most sacred aspect of yourself. Okay, and, um, and, you, and in, in the Yoga Sutras it tells you this, but it doesn't actually give you a way to do it. And what I love about the asana is it gives you a tangible kind of uh, koan, like a puzzle, a Zen puzzle, a physical bodily koan to chew on in order to contemplate the inf infinite. So, you, Because the mind will tend to blank out or just uh, divert itself to something else when faced with something endless, like eternal. It's like that's... The mind deals in finite, right? Like tangibles, and 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 so when faced with the infinite, it's like it's liable to check out. And and yet, so when you get into an asana, one of your jobs is to infinitely lengthen your arms and legs, and infinitely kind of charge or activate and strengthen them. And in a kind of uh, ineffective, unskillful asana, you'll tend to like stretch your arm and that'll be it. It's like a finite thing or I made my legs strong and now I'm done. And, and I encourage you that that's an ongoing process of lengthening. Okay, and so here's this poem from Swami Ram Das that uh, it speaks to the infinite. So I love this connection. And it's, he calls it a poem, Infinite, My Home. And he says, so I am the spark away from the fire. I am the drop strayed from the sea. I am the leaf estranged from the tree. And yet I long for the fire. I stretch out for the sea. I aim to rejoin the tree. So get that again. So I'm the spark away from the fire. I had shot away that little spark. And I'm the drop that strayed from the sea. I am the leaf estranged from the tree. Uh, but I long for the fire. I stretch for the sea. I aim to rejoin the tree, and then I come from the infinite. Infinite is my home. I go back there and become the infinite. I come from the infinite. Infinite is my home. I go back there and become the infinite. Love that. So, just happy to share these uh, with you. And to me, the, the asana practice the, with the pranayama and the bandhas, this is my center of my sadhana, right? This is what I do every, every morning and sometimes evening too, where I um, connect with myself through this uh, physical form. And, um, it, and there's, there's no speaking, right? It's very quiet and but this is why I have my journal next to me and I I stay I 
right in the moment. I try to write it down if something like occurs to me and, and then later I'll develop it. And um, it's something very uh, key to me, like to, th that I somehow give a expression, a verbal expression to the profound experiences that I have on my mat. And they, they kind of get vary between uh, the kind of negotiating suffering uh, dealing with challenge and uh, obstacles, which is so part of practice and so frequent, uh, and then also dealing with uh, ecstasy and joy and uh, connection. And so I'm, those are the two kind of strains that, um, that I come from in terms of writing a poem. Okay, and so I'm going to read you one of my poems, and it's, um, it's about uh, the spirit and uh, the need to keep turning towards um, the spiritual aspect of your life, um, whatever that means and in any kind of small way. And that, and that includes, uh, that's a kind of greater theme of life to um, aspire to or commit to a spiritual path, but it's also very specific to the asana practice. And so we can tend to do the asanas very for very physical reasons, um, for our health, uh, and then also get kind of our ego invested in like being flexible or strong and um, get really caught up in being able to do the poses and um, in a very physical way. And so, and it's natural to get caught up in that because we can get so, uh, we need to attach to that asana practice to, um, to get in there and do it every day. But at the same time, we've, we have to keep uh, coming back to the deeper essence. And this is part of what the poetry does for me. And this poem speaks to that a little bit. So it says, uh, it's kind of gnarly. Okay, so it says, while uh, living while turning a blind eye to spirit is like being fully caught in the coils of a mighty python who is getting ready to squeeze the life out of you and eat you. And as you are threatening the snake, saying with perfect assurance that you're going to wrestle it to the ground and go on about your way, your life is slipping by. Or worse, you're already dead. <laughs> so pretty dramatic and radical. And you, you find that in the, the poems that... Um, the, there's a kind of a searing self-inquiry that, that happens and um, trying to get to the deep honesty within yourself and uh, acknowledge the challenges of um, having a spiritual practice in the center of your life. I'm going to read you another one from um, a wonderful um, bhakti poet tradition. It's um, their tribe of in, uh, almost like gypsies in India called Bals, B-A-U-L-S. And they're singers and um, poets. They wander around and um, devote themselves to, to the sadhana and the knowledge of God. So he, here's a wonderful poem that speaks to the, the daring that's necessary to walk the path and the courage. And so he's speaking right to his own heart, this poet. And he says, uh, 
Be bold, my heart, and enter the territory of the great. By daring the unconquerable, let desires be at your will, obeying you. The path is perilous. A narrow float divides the wild waters of the sea, and submarine chains bar the way to the rowing boats. You must also cross the moat of fire and walk on the edge of a sword in steady steps. Below you lie the death of pain and a furnace of fire. <laughs> ah, I'm going to read that again. It's so good. Huh? Be bold, my heart, and enter the territory of the great. See, the, the territory of the great. See, I love this. So we partly, we, we practice to try to become the ultimate you, right? And there's something so bold about it, is trying to rise up and do something great. And, um, and it takes boldness. And you've got to dare the unconquerable. And this is true of the asanas themselves. Right? They're so di difficult, even the most basic ones, and, and, um, and of course the advanced ones. And so, but you're daring the unconquerable, but they're also, this is in your life. Like for me, publishing a poetry book, <gasps> it's a terrifying prospect and um, takes boldness to, to even presume to um, do these uh, things that we might envision or aspire to and um, jump into the unknown um, in, our, in our life. So, and then it says, let desires be at your will, obeying you. You see, and so you can say we're so full of desires and so many, and when we're suffering, our desires are ruling us, right? And they, they can be rather shallow and um, unworthy and yet we can be caught in, in them. But here, you're going to turn that around. You're going to dare the unconquerable and, and turn that uh, force of desire towards what you uh, envision, toward your deepest, uh, most profound ideas about how to live your life and how to uh, share in this world and be part of making it better. Okay, and then, of course, though, when you do that, the path is perilous, as he says. The path is perilous. And then he uses these very specific analogies. A narrow float divides the wild waters of the sea, and chains underneath the, the water bar the way to the rowing boats. So it's like a fisherman or something, just dealing with treacherous seas. And this is us dealing with the treacherous seas of our emotions and uh, the, the, our fears and our anguishes and all these um, things that we have to negotiate through the day. Um, and then, and he's not finished yet. He's like, you must also cross the mode of fire and walk on the edge of a sword in steady steps. So you, those that study with me know that's one of the sayings I really encourage you to practice by, which is the greatest stability is found on the edge of imbalance. So exactly what being in an asana is like is uh, walking on the edge of a sword in steady steps, not wobbling and not just staying off the sword at all because it's scary, right? And then you all, below you, on either side, right, the death of pain and a furnace of fire. Okay, so 
This is high stakes, what we're talking about. This is our life, right? And risking takes many forms. The, the physical risking is the, the building block or the foundation that you do in your practice. Uh, being bold and working with the transition, the crouch and spring, confidently moving into and out of your poses and challenging yourself. But remember that we're talking about your, the decisions you make and the, the commitments you make to loving and um, to your commitments you make to people and work and, um, and negotiating the many failures, right? That things don't always go well. And, and often there we have setbacks or uh, loss and grief and uh, challenge. And, and so you have to stay bold and keep working and negotiate all this uh, perilous path. Yeah, and, and this one, here's a really gnarly uh, poem for you that, that I wrote that, uh, again, these are, um, when I write in my journal, I'm, I'm vulnerable, right? I'm, I'm opening myself up to myself and not really, not even thinking about um, sharing it or being out there. It's like between me and me or me and the universe. And, um, and then it's another sketch, uh, another place to get to to share it with you, right? A whole nother um, terror <laughs> and overcoming of fear. And, and this one is a very personal poem, but I'm hoping that it, it will speak to you, uh, and especially the, the process of aging and, and practicing and how challenging that can be, that uh, the, the different encroaching limits that come and... Um, and just the experience of continuing to practice and continuing to strive to uh, be creative and uh, go further in your life. Okay, and so this poem says, like a prize fighter whose fighting days are over, or a gunslinger that has lost his quick draw, I'm an aging Hatha yogi whose body slowly fails him. I face an abyss every morning on the mat. What is in store for me now that my strength ebbs and along with it my elasticity? Where is the badassery and the meaning to come from now? And I don't want to retire, be put out to pasture, grow fat and dim, hobble around trying to skirt this or that pain. I'm not down with remembering past glories pining for the good old days, accepting new lower standards, allowing life to do its steamrolling thing on me? Not yet, anyway. But what am I to do? I've always been able to rely on this body. These arms, legs, and spine are my stalwart, trustworthy vehicle. But when these parts break down, where is the strength to fight and the joy of the battle supposed to come from? I'm sorry to report that even after all these years dedicated to teaching, and so, and, and I'm sorry to report that even after all this year's dedicated to teaching, I'm still not a selfless servant. I haven't burned up my ego to that degree yet. I still want something for me. To run in the open field, seeking the goal line, ready to elude any would-be tackler, so I can cross over that line to victory again. But I have to face it. 
that's gone now in this life, that physical prowess. Something new must arrive, something that involves more of you. So it goes beyond me. It's more victorious than any of my previous little moments of victory. I have tasted this newness and it is good. But still, I resist. Why, David? I must find out. Okay, and so this, right? And it's funny, like, uh, sharing this because I feel like with yogi, yogis are supposed to be actualized, right? That you're not supposed to show struggle. You're supposed to be beyond the struggle and have conquered uh, dark states or your shadow or your ego. And, and here I am just laying it out on the line. And, um, but somehow that's me. Like I have a rebellious streak that's, that's, that's saying, no, no, there, none of us is actualized. Nobody is fully sattvic and um, just living in the light all the time. And, and that these uh, acknowledging the darkness and giving voice to it and uh, plainly facing up to it is necessary. It's essential for uh, the growth of yoga. And we have to be careful not to um, deny the reality of what we go through uh, because we think that, we, that it's wrong to be uh, scared or uh, frustrated or, or angry or selfish or uh, envious. All these things that are just so, so natural and yet um, that we're contending with and negotiating within ourselves. So, a poem from uh, a Tulsi Das that I want to share with you. I absolutely love. And this one, it's, it's just such a high devotional poem, like um, such a display of faith and trust in that, uh, that deepest self and the, the divine aspect of one's life. So it, he's devoted to Ram in this, um, and he's speaking right to Ram in this poem. And so he goes, who aside from you, King Ram, is my true patron? No one. I've thought it out and will tell it to all, including you, my master. If anyone knows anyone more special than you, Ram, let him lay it on the line. <laughs> I love that. So I've thought it out, and I'll tell it to all, including you, Ram. If anyone knows anyone more special than you, let him lay it on the line. Friends who are formed of the body and soul, the flesh, are stitchwork badly done. Or, as I think of it, they're like the false fruit in the heart of a banana tree or cheap beads that glisten only when jewels and gold are placed on either side. So this letter of petition from someone lowly, Father, please read it, and what Tulsi has written from his heart, take it, correct it, by your good nature, and place it before the divine court. Ah, I like it. Okay, and then another one from uh, Tulsi Das. 
So the, the poem I read to you earlier, uh, it, there's kind of a tradition among some of the bhakti poets that, um, of being humble, like um, kind of acknowledging how weak one is or how challenging the path is. And, okay, and so this, there's a poem from Surdas that um, kind of speaks to that. Um, and so he, he says, Life has stumbled, stumbled, unraveled, roped to politics and salary and sons. Without my even noticing, my life has ambled off and gotten tangled in a snare of illusions so foolproof that now I cannot break it or loosen its grip. Songs of the Lord, gatherings of the good, I left myself hanging in the air without either, like an over-eager acrobat who does just one more trick because he cannot bear to close the show. What splendor, says Sur, can you find in flaunting wealth when your husband, your lover, has gone? <laughs> so life has stumbled, stumbled, unraveled, Rope to politics and salary and sons. Without my even noticing, my life has ambled off and gotten tangled in a snare of illusion so foolproof that now I cannot break it or loosen its grip. Songs of the Lord, gatherings of the good. I left myself hanging in the air without either. Like an overeager acrobat who does just one more trick because he cannot bear to close the show. What splendor! What splendor, says Sur, can you find in flaunting wealth when your husband, your lover, is gone? So one more from Kabir. Love this one. Uh, again, it speaks to the seeking in, within yourself. It's so key to the, the practice of yoga and such a solace to me. Um, no matter what stage of the path that I'm on, is that once I withdraw my senses into my own body, strike a pose, um, take in a deep breath, focus inward, then there's something okay. It's okay. Right? And so in this he's referring to the body as a clay jug. So he says, inside this clay jug there are canyons and pine mountains and the maker of canyons and pine mountains. All seven oceans are inside and hundreds of millions of stars. The acid that tests gold is there and the one who judges jewels and the music from the strings no one touches and the source of all water. The music from the strings no one touches and the source of all water. If you want the truth, I'll tell you the truth. Friend, listen. The God whom I love is inside. And we're going to read one more to you. This one's long been... This is a very famous Kabir poem. You might already know it. But this one spoke to me, whatever it was, 30 years ago. And it just lit my fire for, for yoga. Here it is. Friend, hope for the guest while you're alive. 
jump into experience while you're alive. Think and think while you're alive. What you call salvation belongs to the time before death. If you don't break your ropes while you're alive, do you think ghosts will do it after? The idea that the soul will join with the ecstatic just because the body is rotten, that is all fantasy. What is found now is found then. If you find nothing now, you'll simply end up with an apartment in the city of death. But if you make love with the divine now, in the next life, you will wear the face of satisfied desire. So plunge into the truth. Find out who the teacher is. Believe in the great sound. Plunge into the truth. Find out who the teacher is and believe in the great sound. Kabir says this, when the guest is being searched for, it's the intensity of the longing for the guest that does all the work. Look at me and you will see a slave of that intensity. So I'm going to read you one more of mine and then uh, close it out. Here it is. It says, uh, at some point in your journey, you will come to a tipping point where staying in the asana sounds better than flying or floating through to the next transition. You'll be drawn to stillness, and not because you're tired, but from your soul's thirst for depths and heights of consciousness. You'll have had enough of movement, like a chocolatier eventually has enough of chocolate. Shavasana will become the best asana. Yes, perhaps you doubt me, but it will happen if the goddesses and gods smile upon you. Okay, so there you have it. Uh, there's certainly a lot more to say about that subject, a lot more poems to share. But hopefully that'll give you a little, uh, little shaktipat, a little inspiration to charge um, onto your mat and find the sacred soul <laughs> along with all the other good benefits. Okay, so thank you for joining me. Namaste.